Hey, guys. Huh. Check this out. Welcome to Check This Out, a podcast where we take an analytical view of the media that appeals to us as individuals and why. I am Elle, your host, and with me today is special guest and enemy of the show, Havoc4. Uh, if you would, please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about yourself. Hello, uh, it's a pleasure to be on here. I'm a, uh, just a you know, science-based internet nerd who has a who's had a love of uh, well, various forms of uh, various forms of nerd tangentially related media since I was a small child wasted much of my youth reading Star Wars expanded universe novels been on the internet mm. far too long the usual the usual story yeah this is the way the community exists isn't it it's just everyone being on their own and then suddenly finding out oh wait turns out a lot of people like the same things hmm and when you built some sort of interconnected web or network of them we should market that. Oh yeah, I, I'm sure there's a. I'm sure there's no. No one has uh, gone into this market space before, and it's not competitive at all. Yeah, it's like intraweb or something. I, I, we'll workshop it. Yeah, some sort of network tubes. Hmm. I like where this is going. <laughs> now you're bringing something to the table that you enjoy and are passionate about. Uh, could you talk a little bit about it in your own words? Of course. Uh, so the thing I'm bringing to the table today is the 1954 film uh, Gojira, or as, as it was originally reduced, or as it's known primarily in future releases, Godzilla. Uh, it was a it was a giant monster film uh, re- uh, released out of the you know at the, at that time very vibrant Japanese live action film industry, and uh, received various odd releases uh, in. You know, in the Americas and Europe, uh, that I can go into a bit later. But it's a it birthed an entire, you know, a a, a franchise and series, uh, you know, entire genre of monster movies that continues to go strong to this day, nearly seventy years later. And just out of my personal curiosity, uh, would this have been uh, based off the like tokusatsu genre or? Did that sort of start it, or were they sort of contemporary? Uh, my understanding is that the that the tokusatsu genre was a little bit later, but was inspired in part by this same sort of field. There's there's some interconnectivity, but I'm not actually a I'm not actually super familiar with tokusatsu hmm. uh, as a genre, so uh, I am less able to answer that question effectively. Yeah, there was just something that came up in like my sort of preparation. I'm like, huh, I wonder. Oh, there, there's definitely shared jo- uh, DNA here, and probably oh, the yeah. same pool of model makers uh, got a lot of work done in that era. <laughs> All the rubber suits just got shared around. Uh, so cool! I have my prepared list of questions that's designed to delve a little bit deeper into that enjoyment of yours, if that's all right. Yeah, of course. Okay. Uh, question one: 
Imagine I I was someone who's been recently awoken from a coma or resurrected from being frozen in ice or even an inanimate object gifted knowledge of modern times and sentience. So essentially, I know what media is, but I've never experienced any. How would you explain Godzilla to someone without comparing it to anything that they wouldn't know? Uh, Right. So Godzilla is a film, a one and a half hour motion picture. It was... Uh, it follow the basic premise is it follows a group of uh, Japanese scientists and a government workers and also uh, their various relations as they try to make sense of and deal with uh, the rising from the primordial deep of a gigantic monster uh, told of in you know, that's named after ancient legends uh, Gojira. Uh, and is which arises uh, based from in ex- very explicitly in the text uh, the Pacific nuclear testing that was occurring contemporaneously, and also driven by uh, well the ver- the various uh, societal uh, issues that resulted from the fact that Japan had several nuclear bombs dropped on them during the end of World War II. Turns out that. You know, people have things to say about that at, at around that time and today. Uh, but uh, and it's focus and the and you know, how do you stop this gigantic creature that is very explicitly a metaphor for the horrors that the United States, particularly, uh, visited upon the world? Yeah, not political at all. No, uh, you, some things have mm. subtext. This is just text. Yep, the super text. Yeah, like right. the, not big spoilers, but the last lines of the movie are literally "stop, stop uh, nuclear testing in the Pacific." It's a bad idea. Just right at the camera, All basically. Kinds of shit, though. Yeah. Is there a place to do good nuclear testing? Uh, of actual bombs? Uh, hmm. There's there's better and worse places, but there's probably no real good places for that. Yeah. And probably besides not. the... Yeah. yeah, and if... You know, nuclear bombs really only have one application right now, and we kind of know at this stage, so... Yeah. Not really... Good nuclear testing of bombs, I think, just, like, that that ne- doesn't really exist. Yeah, we've, we've done our bit. We've probably done more than we should. Oh, yes. You can actually... Uh, there's... You can actually... Uh, Tell from radio car- like the radioactivity levels in like sediment when bo- when when we first started making nu- exploding nuclear bombs. It's mm. like it's it's in the geologic record. Yeah, that's um, gonna stay a while. Oh yeah. Ah, uh, this isn't a place of honor. Nope. Uh, question two. Hypothetically, our positions are reversed, and I'm guesting on your immensely popular and award-winning podcast. I've just answered the previous question with your response verbatim. What stood out the most to you? Uh, probably the, well, probably the uh, aspect that it's like this thing is very rooted in how you know how you know certain people in Japan at the time perceived you know nuclear testing and the results thereof, and also the fact that it's a 
you know, they express that via the medium of giant monster movie, which is an interesting choice and I think works out quite well. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that would definitely draw some eyes to it that might have just ignored a documentary. Yes. Uh, question three. We can tell that this is a subject that you do care about, but what got you to give it a chance in the first place? Uh, what got me to give it in the chance in the first place was the video rental store uh, that was in my neighborhood when I was a child, <laughs> uh, on which, in many shelves, in, in VHS tape form, were various Godzilla films. Uh, primarily, the ones that I watched there were from the 60s and 70s. Uh, you know, like... Uh, so, you know, these real old monster movies that as a child, just, you know, big dumb monsters fighting other big dumb monsters, uh, that as a child I found utterly delightful and I don't obviously get carried through me for, through to me today. But as for what Ooh. got me to watch this specific film, uh, is that I, I had seen it before in it's this film, just a little tangent here has had two major versions that were released and I've seen both of them. The first version what was the you know, original Japanese version that was you know in theaters in Japan. Uh, but when it was uh, but when it was localized to you know English speaking markets, it was very heavily edited. Like it was hmm. basically like literally like they inserted new characters. The main character becomes instead of this. You know these this group of science you know these like scientists who are like trying to understand what's going on and how to stop it uh a uh, american journalist uh and his interpreter as they like are edited into scenes in the foreground to talk over what's going on uh and uh, and uh you know just very and you know all of this you know stuff about nuclear testing just kind of got excised uh and then that's what hmm. got released and that's what i saw when i was a kid and i thought it was boring and not terribly good because it had less monsters fighting other monsters in giant rubber suits, and but when, you know, later on, uh, when, again when I was probably in my teens, uh, they released you know in, with big fanfare the original version with just you know you know subtitles, uh, and I got a chance to see that in theaters, and that's where I saw it first, and that was you know a really good experience for me, and I you know there's a reason why I own the Criterion Collection for this thing today. <laughs> Now, I do want to backtrack a little bit. Uh, for anyone that is relatively new listening to this podcast, a VHS was the precursor to DVDs. So you would go to a store and hire these cassette tapes, a big brick of plastic with magnetic film in it that you would put into your VCR and play movies that way. Yeah. Yeah, and I have distinct memories of watching this in particular when I was sitting, you know, following along my parents to various places and there happened to be a place where hey there's a vh a, you know a vhh player and a tv in a back room that while we're doing this other thing you can watch like specifically godzilla movies in that circumstance i hmm. uh, just bringing back memories for me of like all the weird tapes that i've ever seen oh god i'm old uh question four for some people, a sense of community and like-mindedness are integral to their enjoyment of something. To your knowledge, is there a community around Godzilla that you're aware of? And if so, what are they like? 
Well, in this case, uh, I there is a because of its long-running nature, uh, the fandom of Godzilla films is disparate. It might be a way to put it. Also, the fact that like there's so many different versions to experience Godzilla that like the people who actually like Ooh. watch the original are relatively are in a relative minority because it is a you know it's a very old it's a 1950s sci-fi movie it has some pacing issues that mean that a lot of people just don't like it all that much there's a lot of people arguing in government hearings in the movie uh as was the the style of the time Hmm. but it it but you know it's like widely respected for its you know it unlike a lot of these later like giant monster movies and even the earlier like american giant monster movies that inspired it it takes itself utterly seriously like this is a serious metaphor for a serious problem uh where the series you know goes after that is very different but in this film it's like it's treated with utter earnestness in a way that it's that that like stands out compared to a lot of other giant monster movies like no mega shark versus like octozilla yeah like that 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 style of like that there are godzilla films that are in that style but the original film is I mean, not. No. It's like, yeah, nothing yeah. wrong with those. No, no, I love those too. Uh, but yeah, yeah, there's people who love it, love this these movies in both those modes. I happen to like them in both. Uh, so I have the like, I I enjoy the gamut. Hmm. So the the fandom is widespread but niche. I would say yes. It's like. A lot of people are fans of Godzilla, uh, but I'm guessing there's a smaller su- the subset of those who are fans of like this original film. Like there's this, you know, it's a series that give- existed as long as you know, people like it for different things, and there are some people who like certain ones more than others, and some of them are just not good. But this one, like the original, is why like is the one of the best like serious versions of this story. And I think mm. that's the general consensus. It's also, it's like it was groundbreaking for film and this genre. Go ahead. Sorry. Like probably something like that would be the first little more widespread release of something. Considering like all the attitudes of uh, the time, it's like, oh, that's from that's from the Orient. Ooh. Yeah. No. It's it's definitely one of those things where, and you know, the fact how heavily they adapted it on initial release kind of uh, it gives a strong example of that attitude. I'm just remembering that the first website I ever visited was Godzilla.com because of the '99 uh, movie. Oh, the like the the oh yeah that that is a that's a very specific overlap. Yeah, the, the, it, this is also one of those things where like these series where the people who really like the Japanese movies really did not like the American Godzilla that came out then. I mean, I, I watched it and I can very much imagine why. Yeah. But they gave me a free t-shirt out of a box of cereal. So it had the website on it. And I'm like, well, I've never encountered the internet before. So bleh, oh. let's see what happens. And just traveled there. And that's the first place. Yeah, it's, yeah. it is weird. Like what the first interaction with the internet of your own accord is. And like, like what, wh- and ha- that's so long ago, I don't even remember what mine was. It's just because, like, it's very oddly randomly specific that I remember it. Yeah, yeah. Just like, what is this thing? How do I seek out more information about it? Like, 
and how do you know and i'm guessing that the you know like nowadays you know what is this thing cursory google like we like that was yeah. before even that that was before that became a like everyday occurrence yeah like you would open up the browser and it would be a blank page there wouldn't be a search engine or anything so it's like well you have to know where you're going yeah and it's like well i don't but i do have this website printed on the bottom of my t-shirt i i know where to find godzilla yeah um question five there are many aspects of media that resonate differently with different people what was your favorite part um the miniatures work in the in it's a the effects in the early godzilla movies and gods in gojira specifically is like very elaborate detailed miniatures to you know deal with the fact that we are shooting this disaster this disaster series where there's a enormous monster represented by a man in a rubber suit so they have to make very detailed like little miniatures of of tanks trains buildings and then they set them on fire or explode them in various ways like these you have a and that sort of effect work you know it doesn't look real per se uh, but it really holds up visually it's like it doesn't have to look real because it still looks good And it's a testament to the skill of the people who made it, because it's just... Which is uh, also something that you don't get a lot anymore, because it's all CGI and everything. It's like a good practical effect. It usually outdoes very complicated computer work. It definitely ages better, for sure, because... You build a good-looking model. That model continues to be good-looking because you built a real good-looking physical thing. Uh, and this one in particular has like there's a lot of things where you can clearly see this is a train set or an RC tank that they have set up, very you know to do this specific operation. Uh, and or and then there's the actual you know, suit itself, which weighed over a hundred pounds and was worn by a person under studio lighting for hours uh if you ever see a picture of you know with this of the actor with their suit half off they are being uh like watered down to like keep them from overheating in the in that thing mm. and like I've, I've seen one where it's like three generations of the actors outside of the suits and you can even see yeah. the differences in the in the physicality of how they had to move with it yeah, because like, like that suit technology, like it got developed and refined over years and years of making these films. Like trying to, because the first one, like they made it easier to move around in, so you could do more stuff. And the first movie, the you know, you can just sort of walk along and not a t and you know manipulate some objects, but more elaborate fight scenes uh, or what have you that came in the later films, like was not were, would not be possible in the original suit in that same way. But like it's yeah. the original suit. You get a sense of size and scale from it. Like, they got that across. Mm. Cool. Uh, question six. Following on from the previous question, what do you think will appeal most to the general public? Uh, I, well, the, I think definitely the general public... The, the appeal is, in some ways, yeah, the scene, uh, the archetypal scene of Godzilla... Uh, stomping around and setting up Tokyo ablaze. That's, 
you know, iconic to the effects and the time. Uh, and I think it's also the thing that holds up, you know, the that holds up best against like modern film pacing. Like mm-hmm. it is a. Uh, okay, it is a, you know, it, it is a, a very long action scene in some ways. But that you know, that's what we're used to in a lot of our you know, sci-fi, you know, action adventure films of late. Yeah, like you, you come for the for the monster smashing, you leave with the chilling message of nuclear fire. Yeah. And it also um, is interesting because during that period, like that whole scene, like it is left to stand on its own with relatively minimal dialogue or intercuts. Like there's a couple of like intercuts, but it's it's not like someone's talking over most of the like actual action. It's like presented as itself almost. Yeah, sort of more trying to set the like the horror type mood. Yes, exactly. Like it's meant to be horrific. And like to be basically, you know, the end result, it looks very similar deliberately to what a city looks like to, you know, what the cities look like after they get hit by nuclear bombs. Uh, but it's like that whole mm. action in slow motion almost. Like to see like a build like the city torn down building by building. Yeah. But again, not political at all. Nope, not political. Uh, question seven. Say that I do end up enjoying this because of your excellent recommendation. What would be your number one follow-up? Doesn't have to be a sequel or anything, but if I wanted more of the same. Okay, if you wanted more of the same tonally, there is a there is a sequel, actually one of the most recent ones that uses suits, uh, Shin Godzilla, uh, which is like probably one of the best, you know, in addition besides the original, the best like serious version of Godzilla, where it's trying to like present it as like a serious disaster metaphor and the humans exist to mostly, you know, the way the humans respond to that disaster is the core of that narrative. Uh, and so I'd say that is the best, fo- the best follow up there. If you want to see more of the like smashy, ridiculous, like monster fighting monster Godzilla, which is not present in this first film at all, but you want to get a taste of that, I'd recommend Godzilla final wars, which is the goofiest of the Godzilla movies that involve suit actors. <laughs> Always good to hear just the the different takes that people bring to this bit. But yeah, just like the complete disparity between, well, here's the serious version, and here's some goofy shit. Yeah, exactly. Like that's, Godzilla operates best, I think, on like one extreme or the other. Uh, when you get somewhere in the middle, you get mixed and muddled sometimes. Mm. And then you have dozens of eggs in Madison Square Garden. Yeah, like that that's very much one of the ones where they tried for serious and did not get there. Mm, I I don't even know if they were trying for serious. I think they not were just true. Try, trying for money. Yep, yeah, very much the case, yeah. <laughs> uh, question eight. Sometimes our engagement with a piece of media comes from a position of relativity. Did you have a character that you related to? And if so, what drew you to them? Uh, I... So I, I realize that I have not mentioned the name of any of the characters, uh, <laughs> the human characters in this movie thus far. Uh, but the one in particular I think drew me drew me the most is uh, Doctor Sarazawa, 
who is one of who is a scientist working on you know who is involved in the means that ended up uh, in, involved in basically something inadvertently brought himself into weapons research uh, in a way that deeply upsets him and like his he has a journey related to that that is. You know, it, it like brings home the like idea that, you know, a lot of people were involved in war and warfare around this time. Like everyone involved in the filming of this lived through World War Two, basically. Mm. And like there are people like Sarazawa, the character, ha- doesn't like is missing an eye because of the war. Like he is almost a representation of people trying to gra- grapple with the fact that, hey, weapons have had an utterly huge impact on our lives here and how do we deal with the you know when all the new technology all that you know that we are using these days has its roots or destinations and weapons as well so it's like that whole metaphor is like tied up into that character yeah and to get a little bit more political as well it's uh if you look at the nazis there were people who were just like i was just doing what i was told not that that's necessarily an excuse but it's like you have your enthusiastic participants. Yeah. And then you get people who are sort of more drawn in by circumstance. Yeah. And it's very much like someone who is drawn in by circumstance and hates it effectively. Mm. And I think like that, you know, the, the characters do have a like narrative arc that mirrors basically the, you know, weapon super text. And like goes over like a lot of like goes through a lot of the thought processes and discussion and like they try to actually like walk through it and you know that's the like core like human level emotional arc of these of the story yeah and if you are going for that more serious approach that is something that you do have to reflect is just how are people reacting to this yeah and you know, it, it ties it up into like four main characters. It's one of those things where like there's four main characters effectively, and also lots of scenes of crowds, of communities, of you know groups of people reacting as a collective to the things that are happening to their lands and homes. Uh, Japanese films of this era did not skimp on extras. Like you have just swarms of people like making these scenes of disaster feel very like alive and affecting. Yeah. And then part of me wonders, it's like, would they approach people and say, look, we're telling this kind of story. And then all of a sudden you have more volunteers. I don't know. I they're like, this is a lot of movies of this, you know, of this era from Japan like are able to bring out very large crowds in a way that's like very noticeable even for films Mm. that don't have you know even for films that we wouldn't think of as being like these enormous films so i i don't know what it was like about the economics of the era that made that possible but it like it definitely works for a lot of these scenes well i'm thinking it's more like a, a substitute for like a protest or something or like a petition it's like, oh, we're telling this story that is intrinsically about war. And they're like, I am opposed to war. Cool, sign me up. Yeah, I don't know if that if that had any roots there. Hmm. But uh, it'd be an interesting thing to look into. 
Yeah. Like, what did the flyer for, like, hey, do you want to be an extra in this movie look like? Yeah, because, I mean, that still goes on today, but it's just basically extra wanted must be six foot tall. Yeah. And then they tell you afterwards. So, yeah, would be interesting. Um, I guess research podcasts, if you can hear this, and I know you're listening, um, get on that. Uh, Question nine. A lot of these types of interviews rely on the question of what would you bring with you to a desert island in order to get to know a person. But that's not what this show does. What we ask instead is to picture this scenario. You're on a deserted island with no hope of rescue, but food, water, shelter, and all that good stuff have been taken care of so that you won't succumb before your natural time. You've also been provided with a single piece of media and the means to engage with it. And for you, it is Godzilla. How frequently do you utilize it and how long would it take before you're sick of it? Uh, I think I would definitely watch it right away. And then once every couple of weeks after that, uh, it's just one of those films that it, I don't think you could watch it all day, every day. It's not that sort of film. Hmm. And then how long at that rate do you think you'd last? Oh, on the island? Uh, I mean, in terms of just uh, like watching watching it over and over. Uh, I think I'd probably be able to watch it over and over a, I'm going to say like 15, 20 times before I got completely sick of it. And then it's just life on the island. Yeah. And that's all the questions I had. So thank you for indulging me. Uh, hopefully that's given people a little bit of a deeper insight into your perspective. Yeah, hopefully I've been able to articulate why I like this thing that isn't just, ooh, I liked this thing when I was a kid and I still like it now because of nostalgia. I, I'd like to think there's more to it than that, but that's definitely a factor. Hmm. I mean, sometimes that's all you need. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And now, before I ruin the show by talking myself, it's time for everyone's favourite part, a word from the sponsors. Thank you, sponsors. Teamwork makes the dream work. Now, I have a follow-up review from last episode's enemy of the show and self-proclaimed mining and crafting extraordinaire, Uno's recommendation of Minecraft. Is this something that you're familiar with? Uh, Yes, I have, in fact, played it with Uno in the past. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, little indie game. It's like it flies under the radar a bit. I think the last time I played on a shared server, I left a nuclear reactor running. That place was very heavily modded. Hopefully that well, <laughs> hopefully that didn't cause any problems. Mm. I'm sure if if it did, there'll be some sort of movie about it later. Uh, but yeah, going into the episode, I must confess that. It, Again, I was familiar with Minecraft going in. Uh, I think I joined like one of the early like alpha branches, like before the Nether was even thought of. So yeah, it was was all fairly basic. I was in a similar boat. I think I joined right about the time when they added hilariously buggy (laughs) minecarts. Oh, those were the days. Uh, but yeah, it, Minecraft is a great fun game for just some Zen chill out stuff. And 
just tinkering and seeing what you can come up with. Uh, with people, obviously, it's more enjoyable, but it's still good on your, on its own. I do have a preference for the modded, uh, modded scene. Uh, vanilla Minecraft is, as it, as it says on the tin, it's vanilla. Vanilla is a good flavor, but it's not the, the scope of what it can do. Sometimes you want the triple raspberry uh, cherry swirl. And just being able to play with like jetpacks and all the random tools that people can think of is that that's where I get my fun. Yeah, the I I, I was personally very fond of the modded system because it turns out I just like building infrastructure. Like I build these elab- I would build these elaborate factory setups to generate a ridiculous amount of resources and then never use them for anything after that because I had built the machine that did what I wanted. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the idea of building things, but I am no good at them. So a lot of my uh, easy production line type of setups end up looking more like spaghetti. And it's like, which, where is everything? Who knows? Let's just build another one. Yeah, and then eventually you get to the stage where you have a redundant mess, and you have to like, well, I'll sit, better, might as well tear all this down and start again. Yeah, and that's also part of the fun, because then you can do it differently. So I would say I would give this, uh, I would give Minecraft a four out of five. It's not something you could do all the time, at least if you're me but it's definitely something you could easily come back to. Now, before we wrap up this, the final ever episode of Check This Out for this recording session, and the eighth time I've made that joke, please tell the audience where they might find you online and if you have anything to advertise. Uh, I don't really have anything to advertise, but you can find me uh, on Twitter. I am there as Havoc4, numeric 4 there. Uh, but otherwise, uh, I tend not to post a lot. So, uh, but uh, I'm there if you need to reach me. So basically, if they're looking for you, good luck. Indeed, I, I, I after this, I have plans to vanish mysteriously into the mist and never be seen again. Oh, you're springing for the mist? Jeez, I'm, I've only been stuck with the fog. Yeah, it'd, it'd be appropriate for this series to uh, wander off into the ocean from whence I came, but uh, uh, I just, you know, it's it's so far from, what, it's so far right now. You know, I just, I just can't make the trip. Yeah, it's just like, oh, just getting to the sea. And on that note, I've been L. <laughs> and I've been Havoc 4. And this has been Check This Out, a podcast of media positivity. And remember, there's more than one way to swing a cat in here.